is the Lamb. Amen. It's Jesus. Father, we desire to be in your presence. And so right now, Father, that's what we ask for. When we sing, Holy, Holy Lord, it's because we're inviting you in. It's not like you don't know that, obviously, Father. But Lord, we are singing that asking for you to sit right next to us. To sit across the table from us, Lord, as if we were getting coffee. And we could just talk as if it was talking to one of our best friends. Lord, you are our best friend. You are our God. But Father, we, we long, we desire to be in your presence this morning. And so as we sing this... Lord, we invite you in. And Lord, I know this morning that there's open heart surgery that you want to do. But I'm wondering how, how many more times we're going to be satisfied with coming in this building, reading the word, and there not being a demonstration and not experiencing you. Father, we can't be satisfied with that. Lord, this morning we want to experience you. We want a demonstration. We want to see the miracles. Come on now. Father, there's, there's healing that needs to take place today. Because there's emotional disconnects, Father. There's, there's physical ailments, Lord. Those things you want to get at today. Today. And so as we sing this again, Jed, we're going to wind this back up again. This holy, holy Father is to invite you in to the place where we are most scared to let you in. Because, Father, you, you made us. You made me. And you made me not to worry, not to fear, not to be anxious, not to doubt. So, Father, as we sing this, I want all those out. Get them out, Father. Get them out in Jesus' name. Here we go, Jed. with you and what you're saying to us is what matters this morning in this time in this moment Lord I know you want to speak I know you do I know you want to speak Jared can you just play and, and where you're at right now when I say Lord I know you want to speak I want to give him an opportunity to do so I want to give him an opportunity to speak right to you, right where you know he's trying to say something. So just, just take 30 seconds. Just be quiet. Let him speak to your heart this morning.
the God that you serve wants to have a conversation with you. But just like you go to the store and you see somebody and say, hey, hey, how you doing? Doing great. You don't see that person again. <laughs> Superficial conversation. You don't really want to know how good they are because you got shopping to do. Let's be serious. But it's not the God that you serve. That is not how he's trying to speak to you right now. It's not superficial. It is not surface level. It is to the depth of who you are. Saying, my child, come back home. Let me return you to the heart that I gave you. Let it be uncovered this morning. Father, we thank you so much for this time and what you say to us and how you say it. God, I pray what is being said is something that is lasting, that we can remember on this day. And I remember when the Lord rocked my world during worship that one, that one Sunday morning. Let it stick. And Lord, everything that is not you and everything that is in us that is trying to block you out right now, let it die. Let it die. In Jesus' name, Father, be in this place. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. I know that the Lord wants to do something with that. I don't know what it is. I know it's for the purpose of good. Um, the Lord never opens you up to expose you as much as he does to simply put his hand where the hurt is, to put his hand where the fear is, to put his hand where the doubt is, and to just, however he does what he does, handle that. But we all know and understand that the God that we serve is a, he's a gentleman. And he's not going to force you to do anything. One of the biggest things that I learned on this vacation, number one, it's awesome to be back here. So in first service last night, I had a chance to set up the worship equipment. It was late. I walked in here, and it was like, yes. Nobody's here. It's just pews and awful red carpet, and I, this is just where I want to be. And it's even greater to be in front of you right now. Um, vacation definitely re rejuvenates you, but... One of the greatest things that the Lord did to me on vacation was show me the importance of letting him address that which I didn't even know I was keeping from him. And you know how he did it? He had to get me quiet first because I kept speaking to myself. And I was speaking to myself about myself, about God, and he's not even in the conversation. Does that even make sense? <laughs> speaking to me about me and also about God and not to God. Big difference. Now, this whole intro is not about Alex's vacation, okay? You'll hear bits and pieces of it, but some of the things that the Lord said to me during vacation were big, and you'll, you'll hear that. I'm not going to just, you know, give you day by day by play. You know, you're here to hear the word and not Alex's vacation. But I just have to say, um, it was good and thank you to Beck for carrying all the Sundays that I was not here. He did an amazing job. I had a chance to listen to those sermons online and it was good. So, round of applause for my brother. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's okay. It's okay to smile, man. You know what I'm saying? It's okay to receive the blessing. Anyway, I feel alone up here because you guys don't like the first seven rows. So it's actually a good thing because I like walking up and down and so everybody's in front of me. It's good. But, you know, on vacation, the Lord just, just communicated what Jesus is. And we don't need to go through the vision. Um, we're going to get to the word today in, in Romans. But Jesus is a healing place. Why come in here if you're not going to get healed from something or be the engine or conduit by which someone else gets healed? Does that make sense? Like, lifestyles changing. Mindsets being different. People getting their hearing back, their legs back. I'm talking the, the big stuff, the miracles. All right? Is that happening in Fort Collins? I don't know. 
but I know it's supposed to happen here because of what the Lord has said and not because of what he said to me, but because of what the vision has been ever since Eosis was created. And so I just want you guys to know I'm crazy excited. Obviously, I'm rejuvenated, been gone for, you know, five weeks or whatever, and, and I'm just ready to go. And what does go mean? Win the city. Win it. It's not an unattainable thing. People hear me say that, they're like, oh my gosh, this guy. You're right. This guy can't do it, but Jesus can. Amen? Jesus can. Amen? Yeah, I'm trying to wake y'all up just a little bit. Uh, we're going to continue in Romans this morning. Again, thank you for being here. You could have gone anywhere else this morning, but you decided to come hang out with us, so thank you for that. Um, but yeah, we're going to continue in Romans. I get the wonderful opportunity of preaching um, Romans chapter 8, which is, you know, I'm not going to recap all of Romans because I just don't have time for that, but 6, 7, and 8, they're massive. They're, they're just big. They're the, I would say, the best parts of the best book. Um, and, you know, simply put, they're about justification, sanctification, and now glorification, 6, 7, and 8, in that order. All of chapter 8 is about glorifying God. And we are going to get into that. He starts, Paul, he starts chapter 8 off with a massive, um, well-known scripture. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation in those, for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a big one. That's a big one. But what has happened up until Paul making that statement is big. It's just big. I was able, again, to listen to the sermons online, and Beck did an amazing job. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I was able to lead worship the first Sunday that I was off just because we needed to do that, and Beck preached on uh, this word slave, that we are, in fact, owned by something. And nowadays, we kind of shy away from that word, slavery, or being owned by anything, like whatever, for whatever reason, my generation and younger, we have a problem with authority, right? Well, Beck did a great job of explaining to us that, look, we're, we're owned, if we're going to be owned by anything, thank God we're owned by the, the God of the universe, amen? Like, I own my own business, um, and also am the head of this church, <laughs> but in saying that I own my own business, everything that happens in that business is my responsibility, right? That means all the good stuff, all the money or lack thereof that is made. <laughs> awesome. Woo. Good job, me. Pat on the back. But everything else that's not working well and crappy, guess what else? Goes through me too. Owning something, it's fun and it's not fun. I'm telling you that I would so rather be owned if being owned by Christ means freedom. I'd be, I, I would gladly jump at his feet, being owned by someone who's got it all taken care of and under control. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I don't know why we have a problem with being owned by the Father, uh, because everything goes through him, and he's got it taken care of. I'm okay with that. Through chapter 7, we get to this place where Paul's talking about these two natures, and I'll tell you what, that resonates with me. Starts off in verse 14, I think. and just speaks about how I do the things that I don't want to do, and the things that I want to do, I don't find myself doing at all. That my heart is willing, but the members of my body are doing something completely different. <laughs> Slaps people right in the face. Now, he's talking about himself. That I'm out here saying one thing and doing something different. My heart wants to go this way, but my body's going this way. Right? Paul, through the rest of the chapter, is talking about himself. He refers to himself over 40 times, just in chapter 7. And then something happens at the end of chapter 7, halfway through verse 24. Here's what he says. And I'm just bringing us up to, to this verse, or uh, chapter 8, verse 1. He says this in verse 24. Wretched man am I. So he's talking about how crappy he is. How often do we do that? 
man, I can't do this right. I can't do that right. I speak one thing, but I find myself in places of the city that I shouldn't be, or saying things that I shouldn't say, acting a way that I shouldn't act when I know here I shouldn't be doing that. Wretched man am I. And then his very next statement says, who will save me from this body of sin? That statement right there, he gets off of himself and realizes that the power of the law cannot save you. He doesn't say, how? How, how can I get myself out of this? How can I be a better Christian? How can I just live a life that looks a little bit better than it was yesterday and just take one step? How can I? No. He says, who is going to save me from my crap? Who is going to save me from my sin? He, he takes the conversation off of himself and he puts it on the who, which we are about to look at in chapter 8 and how Paul glorifies the who. Are you with me this morning, church? See, when I come to the realization that Paul came to in that verse, and I'm crying out to him as Paul is crying out to him, complete surrender. See, this is not a light, verse 24 is not a light verse. I don't want us to just read past it. The only reason I'm touching on it is because it gives, it helps us understand the seriousness of uh, verse 1 in chapter 8. Honestly. When you are on your knees saying, Lord, let it make sense because it doesn't make sense. The power of your understanding will get you nowhere. The power of how you think it's supposed to work <laughs> will get you nowhere. Paul is saying, I can't save myself from this body of sin. Who's going to do it? Jesus Christ is going to do it. Are you with me this morning? That's a massive statement. Gets off of himself. The Lord said to me on my vacation, get away from you. Don't get away from me. Get away from yourself. I had the wonderful opportunity to plan a vacation on my vacation. Usually my vacation has been a staycation. So I just, you know, mill around, do stuff at my parents' house, build stuff. It's good. But I went to San Diego and sat on the beach for a while. There's a lot going on. I thought that was vacation, and it was restful. The Lord spoke. He did. He spoke to me about distractions. But then, I had a chance to go hiking, camping, with my sister, my brother-in-law, and my mom, for kind of like my mom's birthday, my sister's birthday type deal. Number one, let me say this, told first service this, black people do not camp, and they do not hike. Okay? <laughs> And if you do that, and you think you, all, you can and you're black, okay, you're, you're lying to yourself. You are a liar. See, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Because <laughs> this wasn't just go up the pooter, find a spot, come back down. No, we drove three hours away to Leadville, Colorado, where Mount Elbert, the highest peak in Colorado, is. And we had to drive two miles back to the trailhead that was the funnest part because it was in my truck. All right, okay. <laughs> Walking up that mountain was like, beep, like this the whole time. Okay? Now, I don't even really know where I'm going with that. As much as, let me just say this. The part of my vacation that I planned, the Lord spoke. But the part that I didn't plan that was uncomfortable, that I, I, I just wasn't ready for, he spoke so vividly. And so clearly to me, atop a mountain where, I'll bring it down to its lowest common denominator, whatever. I sleep with a fan on so it drowns out the noise so I can just fall asleep, right? There is no fan, okay, in the woods. So you hear everything, and I'm saying everything. There's some squirrels over, you hear them, all right? He spoke to me in a, in a, in a place of complete rest. In a place where, I don't want to say this in front of my mom, like I didn't necessarily want to be. <laughs> I wanted to be there, mom. I did, okay? But it's not like I planned it. But he spoke massive things in that moment. Because he got me away from me. Paul gets away from himself. And realizes the power of God is the only thing that will break you out of a cyclical way of thinking and living. That's it. Amen? Oh. <laughs> 
Then we get to chapter uh, chapter eight, and the title of this message is called "Citizens of Freedom." What what does the word "citizens" mean? It's a place where people reside. I'm a American citizen. Why is that? Because I was born here. All right, man, that's a whole other message right there. Born into Christ, I'm a citizen of the kingdom. But to better understand this title, we can under we got to go to Acts thirteen. 38 and 39. It's just one book to the left, a couple pages. Acts 13, 38 and 39. I didn't have 38 in there this morning, but because of our amazing audiovisual visual people up there, hallelujah, thank you so much, we got verse 38 in there. So I'll read this. And I want to let you know if this is true, then what we read in chapter 8, it's got to be true as well. It says this. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed. Here's that word, freed. From all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Yeah, that, that sums up kind of what Paul is saying. The law has no power to free you. Christ can free you. And the only way that that can be um, accessed is if you just believe in him. You proclaim him as God in your life. Amen? So that's a, that's a principle. That's a truth that we can stand on that we are freed because we believe and we're in Christ. I'm a citizen of freedom. That's where I'm from. Do you guys know that you are from freedom? <laughs> that, that sounds weird to say. I can say it like this. You're owned by freedom. That statement makes no sense. To be owned by something doesn't really mean that you're free from that thing. But the God that we serve, if he is freedom, then thank God I'm owned by freedom. Anybody in here want to be free? Oh, yeah. I see you, Peyton. I see you. Throw the hand up. You want to be free? Okay. Number one, we have to understand that what we're about to read communicates that in this moment right now, you are that. Okay, and you hear that and you're like, oh yeah, I've heard that before, right? What about the how-tos? What about walking out of here with, man, what do I do when all I want to do is shut the door? <laughs> and just like cry in my pillow and put on a Disney movie and reminisce. That's weird. Like, what, ha what then? <laughs> That's really weird. What then? Let me read this scripture. All right? Are you guys with me this morning? You are citizens of freedom. Now, I always ask you guys this question. Okay, do you live it then? Do you walk it? Yes? No? Okay. I'm saying to myself, it took me getting to 12,000 feet for the Lord to tell me to be free. Because I had been holding myself captive. Let's read this. Romans 8, verse 1. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For when the law could not, for, excuse me, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of law might be fulfilled in us. Who, mind you, do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the Spirit is life and is peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
Verse 9, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ, raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, he who raised Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life, here we go, to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now let me just make this connection real quick because I, I missed this in first service. But if you read in chap, uh, chapter 7, verse 23, it says specifically, Paul is saying, he's talking about these two natures. He says, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. He's talking about his body, his members. I want you to hang on to that. I went a little bit long in first service and wasn't able to come back to that. But that's significant. I'm not going to go super slow through all of this scripture, but verse 1, I'm going to. Okay? So, with chapters 6, 7, and 8 being about justification, sanctification, and glorification, that therefore, which and Rick and my dad have had much of an influence, a lot of, of an influence on Beck and I, and my dad's always saying, what's the therefore, therefore? Uh, I know Beck has said that to you guys before. It's good. You have, to, you have to ask that question. That therefore is like a verdict. It's like a conclusion. We've talked about, Paul's saying, we've talked about so many things up until this point. Here's a therefore, here's a conclusion, and within this conclusion, it's going to glorify Christ. We're, we're going to be looking at the throne. Does that, does that make sense? Anyone? Yeah? Okay. Good. Yeah. It says, therefore, there is now. Now, if you have a watch on, if it's digital, or if it uh, has the little, that has the hands, and you watch that second hand tick, or you watch the seconds go by on your digital watch, when is now? It's now. It's right now. It's right now. It's every second, right? That doesn't mean that it's something in the future. It doesn't mean that it's next week. It doesn't mean that it's on Wednesday during Wednesday night Bible study. And I can, if I can just make it to Wednesday night Bible study, then I will get the rest of this verse or get all of what Jesus is wanting to pour out. No, see, this isn't a point in the future. It's right now as you sit here and listen to some weird guy talk about Jesus. Right now. He's saying, therefore, in this moment, there is no... Now, how much is no? It's nothing. There's nothing there. <laughs> how often have you said to yourself, well, tomorrow I just want to be just a little bit better of a Christian, get a little bit closer. And today I feel just a little bit better about myself than I did yesterday, but I don't feel great. Well, you continue to beat yourself up saying, I haven't really gotten there yet, but if I can just get one little half step closer, I'll be all right. This is completely void of that. What it doesn't say, and I love it, therefore, there is now less condemnation, condemnation. That somehow you did something last week for there to be less condemnation in your life. <laughs> okay, that's absurd. First of all, Paul spent a great deal of time talking about how your works can't erase anything. So let's just boop, kick that out the door. Thank God it doesn't say, therefore, there is now less condemnation for those. Zero. That means in this moment, right now, as now can be, there is no condemnation for a group of people. What is that group of people? For those who are what? In Christ Jesus. For, everybody in here know Jesus? Okay. If there, if there isn't, we can stop and bring the evangelist up here and we, we can get it going. If you don't know Christ. All right. But what it means is if you are in Christ Jesus, guess what condemnation is? Disapproval. That's what that is, disapproval. What's righteousness? It's that which God has approved. So condemnation is the exact opposite of what righteousness is. 
Okay? It's disapproval. Therefore, right now, as you look at me and I look back at you, try to look at all of you, there is zero disapproval for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. I mean, that right there, one of these things, that, that, let me say this, that gives me freedom. That's something that says I can, I can walk with my head up because I'm free because of that, regardless of what I've done. That doesn't take what I've done and it's, it's uh, um, uh, all of a sudden irrelevant. I mean, consequences for your sin, okay. Again, whole other message. But I do have to say that upon reading that, when I went camping did not realize what I was getting myself into. First of all, you guys, some of you guys in here know I'm seven months out from an Achilles tear, right? Walking up a mountain, my foot is, if it had eyes and a brain and could speak, would be literally just saying things to me that I would not be able to re repeat from the pulpit, okay? <laughs> but as you hike up this mountain that is literally like this from Jump Street, you come up above tree line, and there's a little bit of a break, and you get into this valley, and everybody's seeing sound of music. One little girl's spinning around in the, in, the, in the valley and singing, oh, that's, I wanted to do that, but I probably would have broke the other, or torn the other Achilles, and then, hey, someone's got to take me back down the mountain, right? But I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's that, for whatever reason, upon reading that, that's what comes to mind. Like, just being able to just run and be free and, and not have to think about anything that is holding me down. That, in essence, I have tethered to me. Because what is this saying? That if I am in Christ Jesus, there's no disapproval coming from Christ. So where's the disapproval coming from? It's coming from my own self. Right? My own thinking is coming from my flesh. What Paul does in these next few verses is he gets at the difference between having your mind set in the flesh and on the flesh and the difference between having your mind set in the spirit and on the spirit. Are you with me? As you, some of you guys are laughing at me. Awesome. Don't know what that's about. Anyway... So, as we continue breaking down this scripture here, what we get in the next few verses is an explanation of the why. Why is there no condemnation? Well, simply put, verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. Do you know that's a law? It's a law. You break the law here in Fort Collins, you go to jail. Well, I mean, sometimes in the event that it's that serious, you go to jail, right? But you break the law, and there's consequences for that. If, that's the, if that principle of, 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 of the law is real, then why can't this law of freedom be real in my life? I'll tell you what, it is real, but are you a law-abiding citizen? Hope. Seriously. Are we law-abiding citizens because we're citizens of freedom? Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Jesus' trek towards the cross. But it is again pointing towards all of what Paul was saying in the latter part of chapter 7. Then he gets halfway through verse 24 and his narrative changes from I to who. He realizes, look, the law can't save me. My law can't save me. My way of thinking about how the church should be run cannot save this church. Number one, this church doesn't need saving. Okay, so let me just be clear with that. The Lord has her exactly where she needs to be. Alright? But, do you guys get where I'm going with this? The law, my law, your law, law period, has zero power. Zero. It is only diagnostic in nature. That's it. 
Paul's explaining why there's no condemnation. Well, because Jesus came and he took care of it. Amen. That's the reason why the law of freedom even works. And then he jumps into something here, which I, this is probably my, my favorite part of this set of scripture right here. Again, verse 4, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds. Okay, what is that? Your mind is the battlefield between the flesh and the Spirit. Your mind is the battlefield between the flesh and the Spirit. So what is that that you're thinking? We'll read in chapter 12. Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why doesn't he say heart? Because the Lord took care of that the time that you said yes to him. It worked the first time. Same thing with baptism. So after that, it's your mind that is the, the, the battlefield between your flesh and the spirit. Verse 5, for those who are according to the flesh, set their minds, set their thinking on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now let's jump over to the other cross-reference, which is Galatians 5. And it's going to be 16 through the end of the chapter, 16 through 25. Now, I think it's in Matthew chapter 7, where the Lord speaks that they will know them by their fruit. You want to know about somebody, just watch them. It's not like you have to judge. I'm not saying sit around and judge people. That's not it. But what's in a man's heart is going to come out in their actions, whether you like it or not. Now, those actions might come out in front of people, okay, but it's not really about what you do in front of people. Social media, hey, we can make anybody think anything about us. Even sitting across the table, we can make anybody think anything about us. It's what happens behind closed doors. You with me on that? Yeah. What's in a man's heart comes out in his actions. And what's, where, the, where the rubber really meets the road is behind closed doors. We will know them by their fruit. What I love is that this scripture gives us an understanding of the fruit of walking in the flesh and the fruit of walking in the spirit. Again, diagnostic in nature. So let's read this right quick. It says this, verse 16, But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. That's that battleground. For there, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh, love this, deeds of the flesh are evident. Evidence. You ain't got to tell me anything. You don't have to try to make it look like anything. I don't have to try to make it look like anything to you. The deeds of the flesh are evident. And here's what they are. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and these, excuse me, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then verse 22, but, thank God, we got past all the slaps in the face pretty much. <laughs> verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying 
one another. Now, what are, what are these scriptures saying? If we, if we go back to, um, to Romans. Now, obviously you guys know that Beck and I's preaching style is way different. And why is that? Because Beck is a teacher. I'm not a teacher. I can teach if I need to on certain little things, but it just doesn't come across that way. I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm honestly more interested in sitting in front of you than I am preaching in front of you. But I have responsibility to proclaim the word and to give a, how do you apply this and take this out of this room and live it? Because we can study all day long. But if there's no application, if there's no how-tos, then what's the point? You know, literally, what's the point? Come in here and talk about something. I had a friend say to me at one point, how much longer will we be satisfied with coming in, reading the word, hearing the word, and there being no demonstration and no change? How long will we be satisfied with that? We come out of church, we're like, yes, life is going to change, it's going to be different. And I find myself going through the same stuff. What's the point? The point is this. That if our mind is not set on the right things, if our thinking isn't set on the right things from Jump Street, the evidence is that you will find yourself in the same place. The evidence. I'm just saying look at the evidence. Are you with me this morning? So here's, here's what Paul gave us. He said, if you walk according to the flesh, here's, what's, here's what the result is. Here's the evidence. But if you walk according to the Spirit, here's what the evidence is. Right? Now, as we continue here, where did I stop? I stopped right before verse 6. Here's verse 6. For the mind, I love this, for the mind set on the flesh is death. So think about it like this. Had Paul not gotten off of himself and said, how am I going to basically save myself? That is an outright sprint towards death. Like you're not walking towards death. You're not, you know, slightly jogging or that weird shuffle when, you know, someone lets you go across the street. And you, you're really not even going any faster, but you just want to make it look like you're getting across the street. <laughs> yeah. You're not shuffling towards death. <laughs> you are outright as fast as you can go, sprinting towards that which is not Jesus. Let's make it real clear. You, you set your mind on the flesh, that's what you're doing. That's what we are doing. That's what I am doing. And here, it's just so clear. It says, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is what? Life? And something else comes with this thing. Peace. Let me say this, life doesn't stop. It doesn't. Peace doesn't mean you're not doing anything. Peace means that in the midst of the storm, you got Jesus sitting right next to you. Why? Because he's the prince of peace. Peace isn't a state. Peace is a person. Does that make sense? Set your, things on the, set your mind on the things of the spirit. And the result of that is life running towards life, and standing next to Christ. Hallelujah. Verse 7, because the mind set on the flesh, this is diagnostic in nature, the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. <laughs> what does that sound like? God, why? why? Why am I going through this? Why can't I just get over this hump? Why do I keep revisiting blah, 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 blah? Well, Son, daughter, relax. <laughs> I might have to take you up into the mountains where there's nothing there to speak to you and tell you that, look, you got your mind set on the flesh. Because you're hostile towards me. That, man, that's confronting. That's convicting. That's the result of setting your mind on the flesh. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear the truth. And you, we, we insulate ourselves from what the truth is so that we can go do what we want to do. I'm just being real this morning. Coming from my own life. Amen? Now here's the next part. The 
that I love is so blunt. He says this, it's hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God. Here we go. For it is not even able to do so. You wonder why you come back to the same place? You, I wonder why I come back to the same place? Because it's not even possible to glorify God with my mind set on the flesh. I can't even do it. I can't. There's no way. If that's the truth, then why go there? If that's the truth, then why even start with me? Not even capable of glorifying God when I'm thinking about myself. <laughs> that's a dust statement, but okay, how often do I walk that out and actually try to do things in the flesh, thinking, Lord, I'm just going to do this and I want you to bless it. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work. Switch that one around. Walk by the Spirit. Let him tell you something to do that he has already blessed. Feel me? Yeah, I might start using that one instead of, are you checking with me? Feel me, church? All right. That's what happens when you get a relaxed, rejuvenated pastor. He just brings the ebonics out. It's great. Anyway, none of you guys are laughing. Whatever. So... Uh, Again, are you with me this morning? Do you understand where I'm coming from? Setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. Okay, we read that in Galatians 5, right? Well, let me just set my mind on love. Well, what happens when that runs out? Let me just set my mind on joy. I don't feel so joyful. Let me just set my mind on kindness and goodness. See, we skip a step. The Lord never asked you to work towards love and to work towards joy and to work towards kindness and to work towards the things of the Spirit. Like we said, those things are a product of something. And I'm here to uh, communicate to you this morning how important it is to simply just set your mind on the Spirit of God. Well, how do I do that? What does it look like? How, 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 many, how many minutes do I have to stay on my knees before I can... Uh, slow down. You don't need the how-tos. It just says, put your mind on Christ. And as a result, you will love. And as a result, you will have joy in the midst of a situation that you don't feel very joyful in. Set your mind on the spirit in the midst of the situation where you need kindness because the person sitting in front of you really making you not want to be kind. <laughs> See, you, you, we pray for love. We pray to love deeper. We, we pray to be patient. We pray to understand God more. Well, guess what? He's going to put you in a situation that requires those things. So if I'm needing joy and I don't have it, back up one step. Just beep. set your mind on the things of the spirit. And not the flesh. Amen? That's a big one. I remember when I was talking about uh, verse 23 in chapter 7, about the members of your body? That this, this spirit, when you set your mind on the spirit, even takes care of the flesh. And that's what these next set of scriptures communicate which I wasn't able to get to first service. But here's what it says. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Verse 10. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Here again, verse 11. But if the Spirit... Of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. I love that scripture. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. He will give life to your flesh. See, <laughs> I'm like kicking myself that I missed that first service. I spent too much time talking about camping, which was fun. But if you mortal body, if you you have nothing left, you're in a situation where you just you got nothing. 
You literally don't want to get up in the morning. You don't want to move. You don't want to do this, that, or the other thing because it's just so painful, whatever that is. That's when he's saying, set your mind on what I did for you. Set your mind on the Spirit. And from that, you will get the fruit of the Spirit. And life to your mortal bodies. Amen? Mm. Come on now, church. So let's get a let's get prepared for our offering and for communion because it is the first Sunday of the month. But I just want to take two seconds and kind of back up to this being hostile towards the Lord. Now, you guys got to understand that, and I, you know, you know this. Um, hold on, real quick. Uh, you guys know this that I. I meet with a lot of people during the week. Um, obviously haven't for the past month because I've been on vacation, but the narrative that I hear within the church quite a bit is this hostility towards the Lord. I just don't understand why. Why is this happening? Why can't I just X, Y, Z? All of that. And you know what? I, I'm, I'm also there. I get to that point sometimes. But that is complete disrespect to Jesus. I'm not talking about me. Take me out of the equation. When someone's talking to me about that, then when I'm hostile towards the Lord, that in and of itself is, is uh, like, I, I'm trying to be very careful when I say this, but how dare we? How dare we say to him, what you did was not enough? I'm going to give you something in return for what you paid for. Is he getting in return what he paid for? For me sometimes in my life, I tell you what, no. Big fat N-O. And what we talked about earlier, no means no. <laughs> Nothing. That is the convicting part for me. The Lord wants to do a miracle in some of y'all's lives today. What might be stopping that is the hostility towards him hostility towards him. And where does that come from? Where is it rooted in? It's just rooted in the flesh. Hey, don't spend time beating yourself up because it shows you that. Spend time getting through the rest of the scripture that says, set your mind on things of the spirit. Are you with me? Let's come up here real quick with the offering. I'm going to pray for this and then we're going to use this communion for and I don't, I don't want to shape the time of communion. I'm just saying the hostile towards God part that might be something that we need to address. I know I do because I'm looking at my life in certain areas and saying why, am I, why don't I feel free here? Because I'm setting my mind on the things of the flesh which makes me hostile towards God. Which isn't even it makes me not able to, to glorify him. Father, thank you so much for um, just who you are and how you do things. And Lord, we don't want to come to you because of how you do stuff as much as we want to come to you because of your heart towards us, Lord. I just pray that in this time of giving and of communion, Lord, you just show us uh, your heart towards us and that we can be willing to just release whatever it is we need to release to you. Whatever it is that's stopping us from experiencing you today that we can let that go. But Lord, as we take up an offering today, I just pray that you would bless it. Uh, whatever gets put in there, Lord, just bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. that the word's real specific about communion. If you don't know the Lord, to not take it because it's a representation of what he did on the cross. And what he did on the, cro the cross is what transformed our heart, brought us to him. But the Bible definitely gives us a, a remedy for that. If you don't know him, you can. So let's just pray real quick about that. Father, if there's anybody in here who, who, who realizes that they've been hostile towards you, but they, they don't understand how to get over that, or they may not even have a personal relationship with you. If there's anybody in here who has never said, Lord, come into my heart as my Lord and personal Savior. 
If there's someone in here who wants to transfer their trust from themselves to you and have access to the throne and give their lives to you for the first time, but only you can get their heart there, I pray that you would in this moment let that person raise their hand so we can pray for them, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. In Jesus' name. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you guys to get up and come down the center aisle. we got communion on my left and my right. Get what you need and, and go back to your seat. You can take it as you please, but there will be a time where I'll, I'll walk us through it. But I think we can use this time this morning to let the Lord do something. And I mean open us up and put his hand on the wound. That's it. Whatever that is. So let's, let's go ahead and take communion this morning. You guys can rise up and come down the center aisle and get what you need. And then return to your seat. you. Nothing. For us to somehow think that our way is better than yours, or we think we know what we need more so than you know what we need, Father, it's just, it's ludicrous. You ask us to be completely sold out to you, and you'll take care of the rest. Father, in this moment, there's anything in us that is of the flesh that is operating in the flesh that our mind is set on in the things of the flesh Lord I pray that you would just let it fall away let it disintegrate let it be vapor Lord thank you so much for what your scripture says about setting our minds on things of the spirit Lord, we just want to be right with you today. We thank you for the opportunity to, to use communion to do that. Lord, in your word, you, you show us the significance of this. As you picked up a piece of bread and broke it, passed around to your disciples and explained to them that, hey, look, this is my body. This is what I'm going to give as a sacrifice for all of mankind. For all of mankind to be redeemed. For our status with you to be redemptive redeemed in nature and so father this morning as we we take that little wafer we we eat it just like you told your disciples to eat that bread and we do this father in remembrance of you and lord just as the cup is sitting there you pick that up and you pass that around as well Explaining to your disciples the significance of your blood being spilled. The only thing that would atone for sin. And that when we drink what's in this cup, Father, we do that in remembrance of every drop, every single drop. From the first to the last, that was the exact amount that was needed to atone for sin. For my sin so that I could have access to the throne, Father. So with that, that cup that we have in our hand, we drink that in remembrance of you, Father. And Lord, we just, we no longer want to be hostile towards you. <laughs> if we are, forgive us, Lord. Forgive me for that. But Lord, again, it is such an op uh, such an uh, amazing opportunity, a privilege 
access to your throne, but also access to repentance. Access to saying, Lord, I messed up. And by grace, you don't blow us out of the water. But you bring us alongside saying, welcome back, my child. So we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Let's, uh, let's stand to our feet as we sing this song uh, in closing here. Uh, and have some time with the Lord. suffice for what you have done for us. But Lord, I pray that we get it in our mind and in our hearts that although we may not understand and although our flesh may be pulling us in a different direction, your spirit and setting our minds on the things of the spirit, Lord, is the way out, is the way to life is the way to success, to, to, to freedom, Father. Thank you that we are citizens of freedom. Father, we love you. We thank you. I pray that we would love each other just as much. And take some time to thank one another for being in each other's lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You guys are free to go.